I can do things that wear it without asking anybody, even my Coney wife. Coney Island, world's biggest barrel of and fun. anywhere else your imagination takes you. Okay, we've done that now, Mark. You get the whole show now, you hurry, hurry, hurry. Anything's possible at Disneyland. Welcome aboard the Themed Attraction Podcast, where we take you for a ride through the wonderful world of theme park design, that is. You've just set sail for another unparalleled adventure of discovery and discussion with theme park industry masters of the craft. I'm your skipper, Freddie Martin, and floating the river on the leaky tiki with me, as always, is theme park designer, master planner, and chief creative officer of Storyland Studios, Mel McGowan. Which way's the river taking us today, Mel? Well, Freddie, it's time to dust off your hand jive moves because we're going to explore the exciting shores of gesture-based show control with none other than David and Valeria Baudry of Baudry Interactive. This dynamic duo of dynamic experiences have developed the technology to bring to life in voice and personality some of our most beloved walk-around characters, including that tallest of yellow friends, none other than Big Bird himself. <laughs> Not only that, they were honored with a TEA Thea Award for this technology, which is making authentic interactive environments a reality in the parks and experiences we love worldwide. Alrighty, folks, keep your hands, arms, feet, and legs inside the boat, because this episode is about to leave the dock. Hit it, Sam. Mel, I uh, we've been working on a little project together where we've been talking a lot about uh, some of the original theme parks, like the Electric Parks and Coney Island and Tivoli Gardens and things like that. And you you think back to those times where the greatest technology that they had was a light bulb, a string of light bulbs. And in their minds, you were creating this mind-blowing experience for people to come and see. And I just, I love to look back and see how far we've actually come from just those little twinkly lights. Well, it's funny because, yeah, even those uh, those twinkly lights, you know, what, what the emotion that that caused in people, you know, when, you know, people saw Coney Island, you know, from the ocean, you know, and they described it as kind of this blazing, you know, electric Baghdad by the sea. And uh, But, I mean, rewinding the clock, uh, you know, about a thousand years and you go back to, you know, the cathedrals and the, and the stained glass uh, of the day being kind of the, oh, yeah. the audio video lighting extravaganza, you know, of the era and, and talk about, you know, relevance to uh, spatial storytelling and imagineering. I just uh, polished off a book called the, the Vatican to Vegas, a history of special effects. Uh, <laughs> that, that, you know, it's really great because you really get that continuity, um, you know, from uh, kind of before uh, kind of anything close to modern era to, uh, you know, even to Vauxhall Gardens and like how they would do this uh, magical, you know, candle lighting, you know, simultaneously with all the, the quote, yeah. servants kind of <laughs> lighting, the you know, just that coordinated, synchronized uh, lighting of, of incandescence, uh, you know, it's just really powerful. Well, you bring up Vegas and I can't help but think of the uh, uh, sphere in Las Vegas, which at the time of this recording is just about to open with you two doing uh, their first residency in uh, Las Vegas inside a completely spherical dome where every inch of your uh, your view is surrounded by uh, beautiful 
depth and LED lights that's coordinated with the concert that's going on in front of you. And that in itself is, you know, we go for stained glass windows to little tiny light bulbs in a park to now these types of experiences. I mean, this is really technology taking us to new heights, new limits. That's a great example. I've got my tickets, but it's, it's such a great example because it is people are kind of getting that first wow factor moment. And, you know, um, you know, we're definitely incorporating that technology into, you know, geez, if not every project we're doing, almost every project. So, I mean, I'm sure it'll come a day where it'll almost be ubiquitous and, and uh, you know, just it blends into the, the, the background, the setting and the story that you're creating. But uh, it is kind of fun because it is, you know every uh, cab driver will tell you in uh, in Vegas it's definitely those one of those new technologies that's grabbing your grabbing your your eyeball for sure yeah well uh, we're gonna grab your earballs if that's a, a word here for our next interview here with David and Valeria Beaudry of Beaudry interactive let's listen hey David Valeria great to have you guys uh, on board our uh, worthy vessel or I don't know if it's seaworthy, but uh. <laughs> I like to call it the leaky tiki. <laughs> oh, there you go. There you go. No, thank you so much for having us and inviting us to be a part of this. Really excited. Yeah, thank it's you. about time. I, Brady, I think this is the first time we've actually formally christened the boat. So, yeah, so I think we gave it, it, it a new name. Welcome aboard the leaky tiki. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, toot, toot. We're, um, you know, it's it's always so fun in our industry to meet people and you know we there's a lot of industry events you got your tea events you got your iapa you have all, all these different places where we're going to run into one another and uh i had the pleasure of running into you at iapa in 2022 and um one of the sort of first things out of the gate is how do you do this amazing stuff and how do I bring it into my home tiki bar? Uh, it's okay. always, it's, it's always about me. Um, but, uh, at IAPA, you guys were, uh, uh, given the news that you were going to be honored with the TEA Thea award. And, uh, we'll get to that in a little bit, but this is a fun and rare opportunity to talk specifically about, uh, in the the very interactive interactive uh, aspects of theme and entertainment um, down to the micro activity the these micro moments and so it's really exciting to jump into a conversation with you about how your uh, your background had led you to this particular you know slice of the entertainment pie that brings very interesting and cool experiences to just you or just you and your kid or, or, uh, you know, smaller groups of people rather than the, the big, uh, activity. So I just thought it would be fun to get to know you a little bit, uh, learn about your background. Let's, uh, see, you know, what, what relates, what, what led you to this moment and, uh, how'd you get involved in this wild, wacky world? I'm excited to talk to our first ever doctor of clarinet. Oh no! Oh, yes. no. Yeah. <laughs> I guess say, say sometimes whenever we talk about you know how we get into it, sometimes Valer and I sit there and go, sometimes we really feel like we lost a bet along the way. <laughs> but uh, but no, it's it's a very interesting interesting path that that both Valer and I have kind of taken into this because neither of us had training in in the themed entertainment 
world at all. We didn't even know what themed entertainment was until until soon after. Well, basically when we started the company. Um, but yeah, the, the doctorate of clarinet, which is which is pretty funny. Um, I guess it's it's a, a a way of kind of describing where we kind of how the origin of the company is kind of giving a little bit of an origin of 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 how I got in uh, how I got into this. So I started. I've kind of led two lives uh, throughout my existence in a way. It's uh, really did a lot of work in the math and sciences. My undergraduate degree is in environmental sciences. Actually came out to UCLA to get a doctorate in client modeling and oceanography, uh, which which you know was a great path to go to go through. But uh, and very applicable right now, obviously. <laughs> uh, but uh, at the same time, since I was a you know since I was ten years old, I was playing the clarinet, and I was really really good at playing the clarinet. Uh, if I if I can say that, um, and <laughs> are we, we going to throw yes. your mom under the bus now uh, or later? I, yeah, no, no, we can throw her under later. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It was just a hobby, just a hobby, son. Um, no, and then and then uh, basically when I started my graduate work at UCLA, and in the back of my head, one of the reasons why I picked UCLA because it had a really strong music program and an amazing clarinet teacher, and uh, basically I started getting my chops back in shape and auditioned and got into the program and ended up in a, with a doctor of clarinet instead of uh, the doctorate of, you know, atmospheric sciences. Um, but it's, it's that path in between, which was, which was really interesting. So the part that I loved about playing, playing the clarinet is the liveness. So like all of us as right, performers, right. really, it's that liveness, it's that connection, it's being in the moment and, and, and relating and seeing, getting that feedback from the audience and then, and then responding to what, you know, what the, what the, you know, what that reaction is to whatever it is that you're doing. Um, along the yeah. way, I, I met uh, a professor who was like, well, why don't you bring, he knew I was involved in technology and then obviously in the performance and he was a music professor and he was like, well, bring those to figure out how to bring those two together. And that's when it really got kind of interesting where I was like, okay, well, obviously I am reacting to something as I am playing. And mm -hmm. is there a way to quantify that, quantify what I'm doing, quantify maybe what they are doing. Mm. And, and it's not a lot of things. This was, this was in the mid nineties and it's a lot of the stuff we're doing with interactive music was having to do with, you know, how do I distort the sound and do all these cool, right, you know, right. weird, weird things. I'd spent 15 years at that point or 20 years at that point of trying to make my clarinet sound, you know, amazing. And I didn't want to ruin that. So how do <laughs> I then turn it into something else? and extend yeah. that. And that's kind of the birth of, of a lot of our work was, all right, I got to figure out how to quantify it, how to sense it. You know, how can I do this through microphones? What is it that I'm analyzing in my performance that can respond to it? And then with that information, what can I, what can I trigger to create something that is so much more than, than just that initial connection? Um, and that's kind of what the, what, what got started uh, in that. In so that it's journey. kind of a, a experience a passion for the experimental. Like how do we make this something more than the common experience? I mean, right. I, as a, I, I wasn't a theater kid, but I hung out with the theater kids. I was a band <laughs> kid. So band kids and theater Yay, kids, band kids often, <laughs> often, often mixed. Yes. Uh, yeah. This is a first revelation on the podcast. I played trombone. Uh, so uh, there, there you go. Uh, but I, you know, there's this, this really, I, I can relate to the idea that the you're responding to the music in front of you. You're responding to the audience's reaction to it. 
and that drives you back to it. So I'm curious yeah. about what you mean by quantitative. Like, how do you how do you quant quantify audience reaction or all of that? Yeah, and that it, gets really tricky, doesn't it? Um, particularly in when you're dealing with with live performance and and trying to understand what it is that they're what they're doing. For the most part, it started off with this: like, what is how am I reacting? to them. And a lot of it was, you know, am I analyzing music and seeing, okay, am I playing things louder and softer than I usually have? Uh, am I playing things faster, slower? How am I responding? How's the phrasing changing? And being able to really start to analyze what it is that I am doing. How's my, and, you know, even look going down to the timbre, you know, what are the overtones that I'm mm -hmm. using? Am I really covering my mm -hmm. sound here versus being a little bit more projected? And and using that first and realizing is like, okay, I'm I myself am responding. So so using that as the main the main input into a system and and sorry, it suddenly it's very unsexy when you start talking about how you're quantifying <laughs> everything. But how how do you using that as the main main driver for yeah. controlling something else? And then looking to the thing that we were looking for that I was looking for for the outputs was you know can I control lighting can I control mm -hmm. you know media and, and projection or something along those lines again not trying to manipulate what it is that I was doing but trying to yeah. extend that stage um, right. a bit more so right. down the road we started really paying attention to what how do you quantify what a what the audience is doing in in some yeah. way, um, particularly in the themed entertainment world and the museum world. But but for a live performance, it got a little bit trickier. So it was really focusing on what the performers were doing because they are the ones who are actually having that reaction. Yeah. Um, but then you started then, bringing it into both theater and installation art, right? Because right. Mm -hmm. it just was such a natural progression into those two fields. Yeah, and I think exactly what it was. It was like, well, once we figured out trying to make those connections, what other ways can we start making those connections? And yeah, I think you can start seeing a bit of a path yeah. for that. Yeah. It was like, okay, put the clarinet aside. What other things can I can we pay attention to? Can we pay attention to what people are doing within a space? If they're if right. they're clustered in a particular area, can I have something that's effective here versus over here, or a different response as people are clustered together? If they're spread out, they make a lot of noise. If they don't, if they touch particular things, and and in theater, it was a lot of dealing with what are the what what are the performers doing? So there yeah. was a, a, a an example of that was we did a. a, a Ionesco's Macbeth, which is a very twisted version of of the of Macbeth. I can say that I'm yeah. not in the theater, right? Nothing's gonna. No, 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 nothing's gonna <laughs> okay. fall. If you're all not right. in theater, it doesn't matter. <laughs> right? Okay, I'm all good there. Um, and what we wanted to do is give the witches true supernatural powers. So we had sensors, uh, all invisible to the audience. We had sensors on their prop, a giant staff, and then we had sensors on their costume. And we knew what they were doing within particular scenes and kind of just open up a gate that gave them the control. So in one scene in particular, we gave control over lightning and thunder. And what was awesome is that we there was a lot of variation with it. So depending upon how fast she thrust it and where she thought we were in a round wow, and where wow. she thrusted it would determine when and how intense that thunderclap would be. And the same yeah. thing, and it was obviously triggering sound and lights all at the same time. Um, and then the other witch who had control over the wind and she would swirl. And then what was awesome is that she would just come up and she was annoyed at a fellow performer in a particular performance. Yeah. She was just like <laughs> a little slow stirring, slow. a little wisp, and it was just like, you better pay attention, you better stay on track. No, I love that. And it gave them that, it gave them that power. So it wasn't you know, it wasn't the overly caffeinated, you know, board operator in the background that was triggering everything. It was the performers that were actually, 
kind of taking that entire performance performance with them. And that's where it really started to, to make sense because it was that immediacy of response. They were, they were seeing people in the audience and how they were responding was like, Hey, wait, you're sleeping like, or, or yeah, something right. like that. Or you're really involved with it and reacting to themselves. Um, and when it was really, that, it really started changing it. When was that production? That I was wanna... two, 2001 was that production. Okay. So, so in our continuum here, that's a, uh, a pretty important moment. You know, I, I'm, yeah. I'm really taking this in because, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about early on how, how this applies to the industry in quite a di- few right. different ways. Everybody's been trying to do these, you know, these moments that make a difference. I, I go back to like the juggler in the street who, uh, you know, suddenly brings somebody up and fools around with them while they're doing it. It becomes right. a micro moment. And those, those can be very simple, but they're very impactful with an audience. I remember exactly. going to, to the birdcage theater at Knott's Berry Farm as a kid. And they, you know, when the villain came out, the whole audience was to boo and hiss. And when the hero came out, you were supposed to go, ta-da. Like everybody had a, had a thing. And then, um, uh, <laughs> forgive me, Mel and I are big, U2 fans. We always talk, you know, we can oh, talk yeah. about U2 for hours and hours, but one <laughs> of the key moments in the U2, uh, in the way they wanted to connect with audiences when was when Bono grabbed a, a stage light and would point it himself, not from the machines, but himself around the audience. And if you got hit with that light, for some reason, you thought you were having an intimate moment with exactly. a rock star. Yeah. And, but but you weren't, and those were the types of things that this thought process is going with. So thanks for uh, indulging me in in sort of personalizing this. But I'm I'm really seeing how we move that forward, and even just having those yeah. m- tiny moments with Mickey Mouse, where you have this, it's just you and him and your family. Like that's the types of things that make a visit to one of these parks very special. No, definitely. It, it's, it, it really is that, that, that one for one connection. You just, and it can just be, you know, it's, you know, the moment you lock eyes, for instance, you know, it's yeah. just like, Oh my gosh, there's something that's special. So, so how, how do you kind of create that feeling? If you can't lock eyes with whatever it is that you're engaging with, what is the equivalent to that? That gives right. them that, that special, that special feeling. And that, that well, Valeria, where, no, go ahead. Uh, I, I just remember being a fan of one of your early projects, um, and, I, and I'm thinking of uh, Disney California Adventure, you know, opening with uh, just on the other side of Superstar Limo, you know, bringing, bringing kind of that somewhat of a dud of a park uh, to life with the Glowfest, Electronica, uh, again, just what that level of interaction did to to bring kind of an otherwise empty Hollywood backlot. Is it yeah. a backlot? Is it a Hollywood Boulevard? I don't know where I am, what I am supposed to be doing, but it, it really a came alive. confused origin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it was so different from the historical, traditional uh, Disney DNA. I know that was some of the original intent of that, even that California here now MTV theme. We're not leaving today and entering the world of yesterday, tomorrow and fantasy, but, but here it very much felt in the moment, uh, you mind just touching bases on that? I know it's uh, yeah, no, it's history, it's but. it, yeah, no, it kind of comes along the same same lines in it, and and in a way, it was during the time when when California Adventure was starting to kind of figure out who they were, yeah, and embracing who they were. So the California history and and all the aspects with that, and obviously Pixar being a huge you know uh, 
catalyst for what they wanted to do. But it relating back to Hollywood, it was like Hollywood. It's all about it's you know it's all about me, and as the performer, getting myself into the into these sets. So how do how do we make that connect? How do we bring the guests and make them the show? In, in some way. So after a lot of, lot of brainstorming and working with, uh, with Imagineers and, and trying to figure out what to do, it was basically, it was like, okay, let's, let's make them 40 feet tall, put them on the Hyperion wall, on the wall of the Hyperion theater. And, and, and just basically, again, it was almost analogous to the, to the witches, give them, open the gate, let them play and then mm-hmm. close it and then we'll do a, you know open a different gate and play and that's kind of what it was it was just like okay we create all these different looks and feels a little bit of gameplay we do a little freeze frame and all that sort of stuff but it was it, the whole purpose was to how do how can we bring the guest in not only just engage them in the show but make them an intimate them part the of the show yeah. and, yeah. and 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 it and it, and it also was one of those times where we started paying attention because it was like, okay, there's going to be people who don't want to play, but it was, you gave that access enough where you could be, you could be right there in the middle of it, but not be in, not be the show, but still feel like you are in that once in a lifetime, that one, that in the moment, that moment experience. And, and that's become a key thing too, for what we, the kind of work that we do is making sure that, you know, there's that level of participation, you know, that we have to have to watch out for. Participation and observation, and how do you engage both, you know, desires as you as you create these things? But yeah, that was that was that was quite fun, and it was it was a challenge. Like you said, it's a bit of a, a bit of a, a new thing for Disney because Disney Disney likes things well scripted, synced to time code. Yeah, it's everyone in performance, right? Especially in the theme parks, they it's it needs to be everything needs to be a good show. So yeah. how do you create those yeah. guard? How do you create the guardrails within an experience that uh, keep that the keep those guardrails in in place in a way, but have enough flexibility where the guests feel like that they that they that they have they've made a difference in the in the experience. Yeah. Valeria, I want to go back in time a little bit. How how did you uh, find your way into this uh, this party? <laughs> this glow fest <laughs> my background is even more strange i have chemistry degree from moscow state university and came to to the u.s and to ucla to work on atmospheric chemistry here is the connection <laughs> and i was focusing on climate change kind of more from chemistry standpoint and um, did not pay attention to david he was one of ta so he told me that he's playing clarinet <laughs> and um yeah so we kind of became friends and um, then got married and i realized that if somebody is a musician, the other person needs to provide for the family and went to the business. <laughs> <laughs> so you started the, um, you started business. <laughs> yes, so basically, yes. Yeah. I worked for big consulting companies, kind of more in the corporate world than ran big multi-million dollar projects, kind of, again, So, you, so very you're the corporate. venture capital partner here in this little uh, operation. <laughs> right, right, and, right. and so when David yeah. started the company, I definitely saw potential in kind of talking with, even with Bruce, I saw that there's certainly something really new and interesting. And at that point, I kind of got tired of corporate world and needed to find myself again. And I said, well, maybe I'll do both. I'll find myself, make sure that David's company 
is surviving and thriving. And so I came on board to kind of be that um, more kind of operations person and strategy person and kind of figuring out, figuring out the path forward. And yeah. so well, that's I when the, I learned about guys, themed entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love that you guys kind of mirror that complementary partnership relationship that, you know, we, we need that blend of kind of really art and science, um, that alchemy really, that is, that creates the magic. And, uh, quite often, especially when we talk about the artist side, a lot of people go to kind of visual arts and painters and designers. I it just, I'm so, I think it's just so cool that, uh, you know, come out of it from a musician background, specifically clarinet. That's just awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there was a while there when I was doing a lot of theatrical sound design where the clarinet, I snuck it into every sound. Design. Yeah. It was like yeah, a yeah, little yeah. bit of a sound of a clarinet in there. So. You got to represent. That's represent. right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> How do you tell a story when people listen with more than their ears? Stories change lives. They make us remember, but only when they're felt and not just heard. Storyland Studios builds the impossible. We turn big ideas into reality. We tell stories in three dimensions to stir the senses so you can walk into places you've only seen in your dreams, in real life and real time. Storyland's artists, architects, and artisans take stories out of the imagination and build tangible dreams that leave lasting impressions and memories that endure for years. What's your story? Storyland Studios is themed entertainment, destination design, production, and fabrication. Connect with the team at Storyland Studios to get started building your impossible dream today. Visit StorylandStudios.com or call now. 800-218-1932. That's 800-218-1932. Storyland Studios, your big ideas, best ally. Well, tell me about uh, how you started to develop what, um, what Valeria called micro interactions, uh, micro experiences. In, well, it, in theme parks. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's it's yeah that's <laughs> it's, it's a really interesting. Uh, I can question. start yeah. that right? right, and then you can uh, right. oh, yeah. join right. and kind of explain. But one of the things, um, kind of one of the starting points was that Bruce Vaughn, looking into what David has been doing at the research center at UCLA and some performance art, said, "Well, if you start your company, you're going to be really busy with." Disney Imagineering and kind of really figuring out what is that next frontier for the uh, for the theater. What is the new theater? How we can break the proscenium? What we need to do? And so for the first five years, stuff that we can't talk was because of that really deep R and D that we've done within um, Imagineering, and then kind of moving it out and start working with other companies. Um, and so that that's kind of a lot of trying to figure out the right connection, the right technologies come into play. Right. And right. a lot of what David brought from uh, from the outside, from the research world that he has been involved in between that graduation with his clarinet doctorate <laughs> until he started the company in 2006. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Yeah. So along the way, you know, even starting, so the beginning back with that Macbeth performance, that was kind of the birth of Diva at the, at, in the mm-hmm. very beginning. So that's when we started. And Diva, so the, Diva's your, uh, it's your, your tool. It's yeah, the it's, tool that you've patented. Yeah, no, exactly. It's a, it's basically, it's a collection of, it's exactly that. It's a collection of, it's like our toolbox and it's, and it's just ways for us to kind of create those experiences. And I think that's kind of, Along the way, that started developing, and and then that's one of the great things about that research center that Valeria is mentioning, which is that the, the, between engineering, school of engineering, and the school of of, of film and, t- and theater, film and television, was trying to find what the what those connections are, and it was exactly what you're saying. It is those. It's it's trying to figure out the 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 boundary between the individual and the communal. How can I create those mm-hmm. individual mm-hmm. connections? And whether it's live performance or or in some other in other some other capacity, installation art, and as we've talked about getting into into themed entertainment, how can I create those intimate connections in the middle of something that is clearly very communal? That you're there, mm-hmm. you're sharing mm-hmm. things with family, with friends, with people you don't know, but you're all sharing a, a like experience. But you've got places where you can make those make those connections and that's kind of what started so yeah bruce was was associated with that research center got me interested in themed entertainment and then that's like valeria said for that first five years or so that's all we were doing was trying to figure out how you can make those intimate connections within a themed entertainment experience and within a live performance um again relating to most of most theater productions are on a rail, right? They're, and as things got more media rich, um, even more on a rail, they almost came to the point where it's like, oh, the performer doesn't make their mark, doesn't matter, show's going on. That's not right. You know, it's, so it's trying to figure out how we can actually kind of create those points yes. and, and create, yes. those, create those exchanges, even as these shows got bigger and, and, and more intricate, um, still, still maintaining that, that that eye contact that we were talking about yeah got those connections so i know there's a lot of prod oh oh i'm sorry go ahead uh, it it was interesting for the first several years whenever we would say we would do interactive design whatever the, the world was a lot of people associated it with is it internet? Is it web page that you're designing? Right. Is it touch right. of a button? So there was a period when David spent quite a bit of time, what we call just going to different companies and trying to explain what it is that we're trying to do, what what interactivity means in our world. And this kind of the dog and pony show was very interesting, both helping us crystallize what it is that that what we stand for, what the mission of our company is, and help trying to propel the idea of allowing stories to be at the smaller scale, allowing guests mm-hmm. to connect to it, right. allowing to person to be not just an observer sitting on, on the cart, but also be part of the story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it gives you an opportunity to have the agency, an opportunity to agency connect is, with yeah. favorite yeah. characters and, and all of that. And, agency and is a key the, word that we use a lot, that's for exactly, sure. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And then it started kind of catching up. And I think big, big, big in my head, big item um, that allowed to guest to have this power was bringing like Harry Potter and then understanding that the nature and the magic of it 
is in guests' hands and how can you connect mm-hmm. and how you allow mm-hmm. them not just to be part of this beautiful environment, but allow them to have some connection. And I think that that's yeah. kind of so easy now to reference. I look at Harry Potter one, that, that the type of interaction, whatever it's wielding in their hand or their presence or the group dynamic that allows to have within the biggest story to have a more non-linear story development, kind of choose right. your own adventure that allows you to have those touch points. Yeah. Uh, amazing. So I know you've dealt with and worked with a lot of different IPs. Some you're um, uh, not able to disclose, which is the uh, the mark of our industry. We are always yeah. being quiet. <laughs> We're always careful. Uh, you are, are you are never here. <laughs> yes. What, describe to me a real f- a favorite interaction opportunity uh, that you know you can call it. You know, favorite character one is able to do something uh, for somebody because that's the that is the real role here. Is it's I have this way of entering into this film franchise or this um, favorite. Uh, toy or whatever it is. What, how? What's right. uh, describe what this looks like in in the hands of uh, somebody in within the park in in that uh, in that experience. No, I think that's yeah. That's it's definitely one of the one of the interesting challenges when you, especially, you're dealing with with very strong IP, particularly. You know, one of the things that we're we're missing a lot in in the meet and greets, particularly with mass characters, is is that you can't have a conversation you hear mm-hmm. them talking on the you know on the you know in the movies and yeah. and and on tv and it was like especially when you're kids like why why aren't they talking what suddenly what, they're what, mute. what, what have i done yeah exactly why is this not happening so uh we have done had done a a, a lot of work dealing with embedding sensors and costumes and and figuring out what obviously what the performers are doing so even starting from those early days but it certainly had evolved into into quite quite an ecosystem where performers through through simple gestures that were related you know that you would do every day that they could actually trigger sounds so not the live voice but trigger sounds because the other issue that we run into particularly again with some of these ips is there's only one voice that can exist yeah, right. for that particular character. So, right. so how do you start creating that 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 environment, that ecosystem that not only captures all the different types of exchanges you could possibly have, but then, but then, what is that natural exchange? How can I, as a performer inside that costume, have a conversation when I'm not actually speaking? Yeah. Um, so yeah. that be, that became a, a a challenge for some, you know, in in everything that we ended up doing, and it ended up being really really quite successful. I mean, it's 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 it changed the entire experience. Suddenly, yeah. suddenly the yeah. suddenly the characters were talking, and it was kind of interesting too. It wasn't some some of the people were just like, "Oh my god, they just talked to me," but most of them were just like, "Yeah, all right, yeah, that's yeah, because it's natural. That's, that's yeah. the way it's supposed to be, right?" But it wasn't. It wasn't. It was like, "Oh, that would sound like a robot," or you know, that was very awkward yeah. conversation. Again, we really had to focus on on how you break down again break down those micro exchanges you know it's it's yeah. every moment it was just like i feel like if you're doing a meet and greet it's like paying attention it's like okay i'm, I'm gonna greet you i'm gonna ask you a question i'm gonna i'm gonna you know respond respond to that i'm gonna ask if you want to take a picture you know so you start breaking down those little exchanges and having those little responses and a lot of variation with it and you really do feel like you're having a conversation the big difference is, give, that, um, is that that oh go ahead i was just gonna say can you are you allowed to talk about any specific 
examples and oh yeah one certain think, birds uh, yeah i was gonna say certain giant yellow leaf birds <laughs> um, no that one that one we definitely can't talk about that was one of our most recent projects and i we're super proud of it it, it kind of hit a whole bunch of different uh, different you know touch points for us and it's yeah so Again, a meet and greet, especially with kids, you're dealing with two to five-year-olds. They're coming up to Big Bird. They know Big Bird can talk. And they come up to a meet and greet and Big Bird. All they can do is do big gestures. And 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 at the same time, too, it wasn't a focus, but it ended up becoming a nice little, a nice little byproduct of, of what we ended up creating. But you have to think, too, of visually impaired, you know, kids that are coming up, that they have nothing. All they can do is feel feathers, but they ha- they can't yeah. see the movement or any of that stuff. So our goal was we have to give a voice to Big Bird. We have to figure mm. out how Big Bird can have a conversation. And so, again, taking an evolution of the stuff that we had done in previous characters and then put it into, into Big Bird with a particular challenge that Big Bird isn't like some of our other characters that have a lot of free movement. Big Bird's like T-Rex. And he can have very yeah, little yeah. movements in, inside the costume and, and he's puppeted. So, which actually ended up being kind of a fun thing for us to do. Um, but basically simple, simple gestures and, and, and control of where you are within the show gave the performer the ability to have those intimate conversations and, and be in control of it and have those, have those exchanges. It's, it's, it is amazing seeing when these kids come up to to big bird and and have those exchanges i mean it's 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 pretty emotional yeah Yeah, for parents and for kids it's just this big small big like surprise moment and it's like having play date with your friend right and it's really it's really big bird's voice it's It's, really it's 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 matt vogel who's the the voice of big bird and we recorded 700 different sound bites with him um those are all on board and are being triggered by the performer you know in the moment and i mean obviously it's a lot of variations of like you know a bunch of different hellos and things like that but right sure but a lot of it is 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 you know it you have to be ready like if you ask somebody is like well what have you you know you know, what's your favorite ride? And then suddenly they're saying, well, I'm really sad because my mom's not here today uh, or with me at the park. Then you have to have yeah. a response to that. So giving yeah. the performer the ability to not be awkward or have that awkward yeah. moment. And it doesn't take yeah. much. It doesn't take much to, 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 to have enough of a dialogue where you can be empathetic and sympathetic yeah. and, 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 then, and then move on to, to bigger and brighter things. Right. Yeah. Um, but it is really painful. I, well, I, I, I can really relate to that. We we do a lot of work. We have a um, with an animation company, uh, and part of character development is to create the visume sh- sheet where you see what the a a e i o u looks right. like in the mouth of your character, or what angry or sad or whatever. But they, they seem those things seem like they would be endless, but they're really pretty contained. And and so right. if you're the emotion that a character is going to have right now is limited to just a few different variations on the same uh, grumpy face or uh, surprised face. Right. And so I think that relates back to how your, your 
system um, just becomes very simplified in, no, in some exactly. ways. It's very exactly. complex, but it's also no. Simplified. But you again, you break it down to those micro exchanges, right? And then it becomes something yeah. that's much more manageable. And and that's how we teach it to the performers. We can get a performer up and running in a couple hours um, yeah. with all of that, just because again, you just approach it as like, okay, don't look at the whole thing. You know, don't think of how you're getting to the yeah. end. Think about how that exchange is going to happen at this time. Um, Are you guys uh, on any feedback loops to be able to get to hear some of the stories uh, and some of the impacts? Because I I imagine that'd be pretty powerful. We, we hear a lot of it through secondhand and through the performers themselves that are related to it. I would love to put a microphone in the costume um, to hear, uh-huh. more what, hear more what the guests are saying. But, um, but the performers, uh, the performer, all of them have been really excited. It changes their performance. It, it's it's yeah. crazy you know, talking to the, you know, the, the, their managers within the parks and, and the managers of the performers. And it's, it's crazy hearing hearing how much the performers have changed from their perspective. It's like they're right. new, they're, it's all new. And they now have this amazing tool in their hands, literally. Well, and I, <laughs> in their yeah, hands and I, I'm not just an, I'm not just an unskilled worker inside of a, a, a teddy bear. I'm, I have a, a way to really interact with people out right. there. You know, we used to, we used to only think of those people as, sweat sponges just go out there oh, for seriously <laughs> for 25 minutes and come back uh and get cooled off like that's how limited the expectation was in some in some places but uh, no, what I, a it, what a cool what exactly and i think exactly, social yeah. media too i've seen a lot of the interactions on social media and when you when you see that's real feedback it because is, that's right. the person saying hey i had this amazing moment with my right. favorite character no, ex- yeah. And I think one of the things too that we really liked about that as well, again, kind of relating to that, you know, the, the personal and the communal aspect of it is again, how, okay, Big Bird's there and how do I get him to, you know, he's obviously having his intimate exchange, but is there a way to kind of extend his stage a little bit? Yeah. And we, ha- and, yeah. and we have that. So there's, there's particular moments when, and the performer has control over him, uh, but he addresses Oscar in the can who's, you know, like 10, yeah. 15 feet away. And then Oscar responds. In this very yeah. Oscarly way, you know, and yes. so having that connection to the physical space as well to the other characters or, you know, to, you know, the, the bike shop or anything, any of that stuff. I think that that's also added a different level. Again, people aren't paying attention to it and saying, oh my gosh, it's like big birds. Right. Game. Right. I mean, but it's, it's more of those things where like, yeah, this is. This is That's natural. This is this is yes, what I'm expecting. Yeah. I'm expecting Big Bird and Oscar to go at it. You know, go at it for a few, you know, few sentences and 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 have that exchange like what I would see on the actual show. So it's it, it was amazing. That, yeah. that that's that's definitely one of our 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 you know cornerstone projects that we worked on lately. Yeah. That we love a lot. You and mean, you mean together that we liked. You mean the one that we collaborated on isn't your favorite project? I'm just oh, kidding. No, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> no, in full yes. disclosure. <laughs> yeah, of course. Now, in full disclosure, I just want to share, you know, outside of the live entertainment space or, you know, live characters, um, I imagine a lot of your interactive work is in kind of exhibits, environments. We, we, yep. we had a chance to collaborate with uh, Jeff Wyatt on our team um, with a, a little little project in dc little, which little i project actually DC, just, yeah. just got to experience so uh it was really well Very done nice. kudos um, no, thank you, you. you mind just sharing some of that some of that market sector space and a little bit about the uh the uh, collaboration there no certainly i think and and valeria can certainly chime in a lot more on this too because uh, she she has a, a particular passion for for all of our our museum work that we 
that we do, I but I can at least set the, set the stage for it is that it just, it seemed natural for us. Again, you're trying to create those, that sense of agency, create those handles into the experiences. Now we're saying, we're going to try to educate you. So particularly for like children's science centers and museums, like how do I get the kids more interested? How do I engage it? You can't put a placard in front of them. You can't put a video in front of them because it all becomes scenery. No one's going to read it. No one's going to pay attention to it. So how do you kind of create that that sense of agency so that they will absorb a few bits and pieces here and there related to whatever the educational material that, that you, that you want to, to share with them. I think one of the, a, a good example is something that we did a few years back in the, uh, San, up at the Santa Barbara, Santa Barbara natural history museum. And they had these great videos of, of different elements of that happened, you know, in ecology and the ecosystem, like, you know, decomposing or, a, a, of, of, a, of an animal or, a, a, a rattlesnake trying to catch a, a mouse or something along those, they had these amazing videos. And before they were doing the rehab, they had those videos up and they realized no one was paying attention to them. They're amazing, but no one's paying attention. They're just noise. They're just wallpaper. All we did is made a kind of reset the scene. It's just a little window, but nothing happens until you lean in. And we have a little uh -huh. we have a little proximity sensor, and we know that you're there at that moment. You are the agent. You are you are telling you know the environment. You are curious, and you want to now learn something. And then you show them the video, and the retention is you know orders of magnitude higher than it would have been otherwise. Wow. So again, it's taking wow. those taking those tricks that and, and those those ways of engagement in the theme entertainment world and the live performance world, and figuring out how we can actually create those those handles and exchanges uh, in, okay. the, in the museum and exhibition world. Yeah, I um, so this year uh, or last year at IAPA, you were. Uh, honored with the TEA Thea, uh, or at least, uh, the announcement was made. And then later in April, you received it. Um, you know, what, what's that experience like? What's the, uh, we, we got to go through it, Mel and I, uh, a few years back. And so how, how was oh, that? Yes, you know, right, we're, right. Hey, we're just, we're just, you know, we're just a company coming up with some technology. How are we suddenly thrust into the spotlight? Yeah, that was <laughs> that was definitely quite quite uh, quite an experience because um, we had initially we had we had submitted actually for for Big Bird um, mm. for that project and uh, and and big kudos to the Thea committee for for doing doing the homework but they started doing a deep dive of of our work and how and the evolution of what you know. It was kind of kind of answering that question: Is is Big Bird was Big Bird an evolution or a revolution? It was they were always mm -hmm. looking looking trying to answer answer that question. And and in the process, they talked to a lot of the people that were able to peel away the curtains for them <laughs> for a lot of the projects that we had done. And I think the thing that has has still amazed Valeria and I is that they, based on the history of the work that we had done, they decided to honor the company as a whole. And yeah. for, our, for our collective work and that, that just floored us. And it was, yeah, that's awesome. And it was, and, and the, the fact is the first time a company itself, the itself without a product or without a project that was awarded was, was, yeah. Like I said, Valeria and I are still kind of floored. Something special. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I was, yeah, I was pinching myself. <laughs> <laughs> and then we couldn't tell that's, anybody <laughs> for a while. Too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's but, uh, so, that's so yeah. special. I, I saw your booth and you were showing off some, you know, future 
forecasting future ideas. And I think they kind of related in some ways to the witch project, the witch theater project, you know, you're taking, taking now we're, we're dealing with gestures and you're dealing with an individual character, but, but now affecting the environment all around you, right. uh, the forests, the trees, the flowers, talk a little bit about the future of this and how, people should be dream you know people in this industry should be dreaming about their uh guest interactions they should be dreaming about Bodri interactive no. <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna put if you if you put this podcast on to go to sleep you just heard your subliminal message. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly exactly no i think i think one of the things that that since we you know emerge when we now emerging out of our I mean, it's been a couple of years now, but coming out of COVID, I think it was the realization that that we we are a very communal group of communal people. Um, we want that engagement, but we don't want to make it passive anymore. We want to be a part of it. We want to engage with our friends. We want to engage with the stuff that's in our environment and the things that are in front of us. And I think that's what's changed it. This is the things that we certainly noticed in 2000 and 2021 and 22 at IOPA in particular was the conversation was, was like, how do we do this? You know, it's like everyone's talking about immersion and interactivity, but the question was, well, how do I make those engagements? And, and even more so for last year, it was just like, okay, now we, now we've committed <laughs> and we know the audience <laughs> wants this. How do we, how do we, how do we make those, make those connections? And I think that's, I think, for us, that's it's 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 been a long journey of the you know seventeen years since we started the company, but it seems like everything's starting to catch up to that idea of of being able to create those exchanges. And again, it's it's how do you create those touch points within within the within the space uh, or within an experience? But then, how can I expand it? How can I how can I is an entire land? Can I start engaging with the environment in fun ways? And then, what mm -hmm. are the tools? And what is the you know what is that I can control to kind of create those that create those ex, those types of experiences. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of applications. I mean, it, some of the projects that we've been privileged to toy around with, you start to see, wow, we could we could do even more than just you know point a wand at uh, at a thing and make some animation happen. We can we can give somebody an opportunity to really you know rank up the points, so right. to speak, and and right. encounter their their big bad in the moment and just gamify this to, to, to a level that the real gamer menta mentality people can engage hardcore and the right. ones who are just passively enjoying it, just find surprises. And I what think I that's really exactly about. Okay. Yeah. I was just going to say what I love about your work though, beyond, you know, com competition and gamification competitive, that idea of really these kind of emotionally, you know, connecting moments, making, yeah, really making the emotional powerful. connection. Right. And I think, I think exactly to, to Freddie, what you were just saying is that I think that's the, it's always been what we've done, whether our clients have asked for it or not, we've always kept, you know, kept a history of what it is that the, of the interactions that happen within a space and particularly like, I don't need to know that it's Joey that's going through and having an experience, but I know it's two, five, six, nine, three, right. Right. And, going through <laughs> and understanding, understanding the path, how, what was the, their adventure in their choose your own adventure that they took. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and then relating to what you were saying, Mel, it's then knowing that information, how can you present them different outcomes and different different content to create a more 
tuned emotional connection. You know, I mm-hmm. know, I know that you've done these things. So it's not necessarily for the gamification. It's like, yay, you got to level 17. Yay, it's awesome. It's more of like, you paid attention to all these things. Let me present you a little bit something that you looks like you're really going to be interested in. And trying again, trying to to make that connection more emotional and 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 more meaningful. I think that is definitely one of the one of the 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 things that we see for the future of this is is having that continuity of being able to make those make those make those connections and and having it whether it's just you know for your three or four hours in the park or what, like it's yep. there for longer yep. but your time w- within the park or if it's something that's you know multi day multi year multi season you know whatever whatever it is it's having having some sort of of ability to kind of create your own story and continue to come back to it or, or maybe it's just something that's just in the moment at that time or that particular day, but having a through line of some sort. So when you are making those choices that they are having an impact in some way on your experience, I think that's really, that's really where that kind of the future, I think of these experiences is going to, but it's really. Yeah. That's, that's great to, that's great to hear. I think the more and more we're able to connect in those ways, father to son mother to uh grandma uh a friend to buddy you know all of these all of these interactions with with are are only leading to more and more enriched experiences well thank you so much for joining us today this has uh, been a lot of fun uh we we as i told you before we love what you do because it's it's given us opportunities to uh take the dream a little bit further every time well, that's great. No, thank you so much for having us. We really, really appreciate it. The conversation has been fantastic. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Sounds great. Thank you. Thanks, guys. So, Mel, one of the things that comes out in a conversation like this where we're talking about technology, you know, a lot of people, you're kind of a go-to creative lead guy with master planning, architecture, uh, creating a, the big picture experience. That's su- some of what your background is and some of the things that your clients come running to you for. And yet, here we are talking about these individualized technologies. And I, I know that's not where you t- typically run to, but you're being asked more and more to enter into that conversation and say, Hey, what's next in technology? How does that make you feel? Are you comfortable with talking tech? Uh, you know, to be honest with you, it's actually, you know, just another one of the tools in the toolbox and increasingly the nature of the types of projects that we're doing. It's just such a fundamental core part, you know, because that need to build in the flexibility, the changeability, the, you know, the evergreen nature, part of the the nature of some of the content as we're doing uh, more and more, uh, not just with Hollywood IPs and feature film and media-based IPs, but more with uh, video game and gaming IPs. Oh, you know, sure. the, all yeah. those worlds are coming together. And I think a common thread for us, obviously, because our sister studio uh, with Ozone uh, Studios and the technology there is really being uh, developed in a unique way. You know, the ability to bring real-time uh, Pixar-level rendering uh, you know, I think it just takes that that whole concept of the walk around character, for example, to a new level when you have uh, fully realized uh, rendered uh, characters. You combine that with AI, with uh, some of the other, uh, you know, uh, technologies that we just heard about. And it really is a new day to, to really live in these alternate, uh, you know, enhanced extended reality. So, yeah, we're, we're we having often- a blast. Yeah, we're having a blast looking at, we see the limitations and the technology comes around and sort of blows the door 
blows a hole in the limitation. Oftentimes it's pretty exciting. Absolutely. Well, I think it is time for us to head to home. What do you say we turn this leaky tiki, the newly named leaky tiki, and bring it back to Doc? What do you say? <laughs> Let's do it. Until next time. Thanks, Mel. The Themed Attraction Podcast is hosted by Freddie Martin and Mel McGowan. We want you to know that we don't take your listening for granted. We are so appreciative that you listen to our show, that you follow us, that you visit our advertisers, that you just make us part of your theme park life. Thank you, thank you so much, and thanks for sharing us with your friends and colleagues. We want to thank our special guests, Valeria and David Beaudry of Beaudry Interactive. You can learn more about their cutting-edge experience technologies at beinteractive.com. That's the letter B, interactive, one word, dot com. Or connect with them on LinkedIn. Get access to new shows, stories, and interviews at themedattraction.com. Start your own profile, discuss the latest advancements, and interact with your fellow theme park designers around the world. Follow the action on Instagram and Twitter at Themed Attraction and join our active discussion group on LinkedIn. Connect with Mel by email via mel at storylandstudios.com or follow him on Twitter at Mel McGowan and Instagram at Visioneer. You can find me at freddymartin.net and follow my adventures at Skipper Freddy on Instagram and Twitter. Our theme music was composed by Rob Watson. Other music provided by the Lost Dogs. This episode was designed and produced by the one and only Dr. Barry Hill. Barry is an author and publisher of beautiful books on theme parks, including Imagineering an American Dreamscape and a newly released coffee table book for Kings Island. Rivershore Creative can help you tell your own story, whether for your park, company, or as an industry expert. Need a podcast? They can do that too. Go to rivershorecreative.com to get started. You know, Mel, Barry tells me he was around when Rudyard Kipling first released his classic tale, The Jungle Book. He even attended the book release party here by the river. It wasn't much of a party, though. They only served avocados. You know, guacamole. Thanks for listening, folks. <laughs>